gents. What's good, people? It's Shredge. It's Stone. And we are out here, you know what I'm saying, chilling, chilling in New York. It's a nice, windy, but rainy day. You know, shouts out to everybody who survived, who was dealing with the hurricanes that kind of passed by through Cuba, through Puerto Rico, through Florida, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, while I was here, I was thinking about, you know, the fact of where, you know, you've got certain politicians, you know, after the fact, you know what I'm saying, who are against aid for New York, you know what I'm saying, going out there, you know, asking for aid for their home states, you know, and I get it, you know what I'm saying? We're compassionate people, man, but we never forget, you know what I'm saying? So all I'm saying is, you know, see the sentence in the street, slap that bitch ass for me. That's it. <laughs> I, I, I really wish that Biden would be like, all right, we'll give you the aid, but teach critical race theory in, in schools. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I was just mad when we we went, we had floods in Jamaica Queens, and they were like, and "That happens every day." B, I was like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "I want my revenge." <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, no, I mean, yeah. like seriously, like you know, prayers out to Florida and Puerto Rico. Um, it's super crazy out there. Um, you know, I like yeah, I mean for for real for real. You know, a lot I know a lot of people. I have family down there, and they're you know, same. Uh, we're, we're good, but they have no power, you know, things like that. And you know, it's humid in Florida, so um, yeah, prayers, prayers up, you know, for sure. Yep, yep, yep. And now, on that note, let's start the podcast fun. As usual, going into happy news, which if you can't tell, that's sarcasm. Um, Santa Gold dropped a record a couple, of, I believe, a month or two ago. Um, very solidly received. I have not chance, had a chance to listen to it, but as usual, when artists are apt to do, you drop the record and then you go out and tour that record. Obviously, touring is important. Why? That's merch sales, that's revenue stream, that's actually promoting the record to hopefully get more record sales to fit into a bigger tour next time. It's a whole ecosystem. Um, What's kind of fascinating, or I say in a bad way, is the fact of Santi Cole basically had an open letter where she had to basically cancel the tour. And, you know, usually expect the usual stuff, you know, COVID, you know, family issue, couldn't get XYZ. Her thing was basically like, yo, touring sucks. And it's not the idea of where, you know, just simply riding in the van is the idea of where you're fighting for space in venues where those venues are backlogged by other similar artists who are trying to make up loss to revenue. You're dealing with the idea of where you're paying things out of pocket, where touring is not cheap. You know, at a certain point when you become a certain age, it's not, you know, five or six of you in a kind of line van that you got for 200 bucks. You know, that's on fucking threads. You know, you're not, you know, you know, it's not feasible the way we kind of set up this kind of ecosystem where even though you can make the argument that, you know, we love our free, I put that in quotes, music, um, streaming YouTube, at the end of the day, there's always a live music component that's still very popular. And you see it, you know, as somebody who's trying to get ready against machine tickets for 2023, I know you motherfuckers are out there buying up tickets. And I think is the issue of, like we hoped when the switch over to the pandemic, we kind of reevaluated what does it mean to be, you know, uh, you know, arts, live music, you know, the people that you touch day to day, you know, go even beyond the essential workers where, you know, there's a lot of people who their whole jobs are effectively going to the public and doing these things and interacting. And how do you kind of jive that together with the fact that we live in a very capitalistic society? So what was interesting about her fucking note was the fact of she's not touring because she can't or she doesn't want to. It's just not economically feasible at this time. You know what I'm saying? She's kind of fighting against, you know, all these market forces where 
they were there before COVID, but now after COVID, they're just as worse. And it's kind of unfortunate. And, you know, you're dealing with somebody where I'm not going to be like, she's like fucking, you know, Harry Styles, but she's somebody who's got some commercial money. She's somebody who's on some advertisements. She's somebody where she may not have sold millions of albums. She's somebody who should easily be able to tour, you know, get a little bit of money. I'm not saying come home rich, but, you know, definitely get paid for her efforts, you know, in the middle class way and go home. And we've kind of hit this, this, this kind of crescendo where, like, even for an artist who's got some success, it is not feasible for them to kind of go out there and play. And I think, like, downstream is going to be a problem because... Obviously, you know, somebody's like Santi Gold, she's well into her career, she's got other things popping, it's not that big of a deal, but we kind of run into a crux of where, you know, do we really want, like, you know, our really talented, you know, musicians who are maybe, you know, coming out, who are studying their craft, who are in their early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, early 30s, and they're kind of forced to basically work for Google, you know what I'm saying? It kind of sucks. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's a very heartbreaking letter by Santa Gold, and you know, I, you know, it's you know, Little Sims went through the same thing, where it's just like the the cost of touring for these kind of artists who are not, you know, the Weekend or Drake, or you know, that can get like you know X amount of capital for like elaborate stage shows, you know, um, the cost for these artists, um, you know, in you know post pandemic in this inflationary time is just super crazy. Um, and also, too, like everybody's got to get tested for COVID. That's very expensive now. The government don't pay for that anymore. You know, like 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 all these things just kind of add up. So I guess it's not surprising. And, you know, Santa Gold, you know, in the circles that me and you go in, Santa Gold is like a really popular artist. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, she's still an independent artist. You know, she's still probably, you know, not going to bring in the revenue as, you know, a weekend or whatever. So it's harder for her to kind of negotiate deals with venues, negotiate deals with Live Nation, like things like that. Um, because now, like, as she mentioned in the letter, everybody now is like, everything has been so delayed tour wise. She's negotiating against like all these other acts and bands, you know, from all over the world. So um, it's super crazy and super sad. Um, and then also, too, like, you know, um, like a lot of artists now are kind of like, you know, reevaluating the whole idea of touring. Like it used to kind of be that you put out a CD and maybe you'll do a tour, but like, you know, like most of your money is going to come from CDs because those CDs are $20. You know, you'll still get two, two of those dollars, but it's better, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's better than like the 0. 0.025 cents you get or whatever from streaming, right? And now it's like, um, you are, almost have to, um, you know, tour as an artist. Like, you're kind of forced to tour. And you have people like Santigo, who, you know, she's a mother. Um, she's gone through agony and angst during the pandemic, just like anybody. Like, you know, she's going through a lot of mental shit. Um, but she also now has to kind of, like, tour and, like, you know, perform night after night for, you know, like, you know, thousands of people. And, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, well, that's her job. Like, I go to, I go to work every day, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, great. You're working from home in your pajamas. You're not, like, <laughs> performing in front of 20,000 people. Like, sorry. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's a really it's a really sad time. Um, and, you know, hopefully, like, Santa, somebody like Santa Go can kind of figure out a model that works. Like, I know that the big thing now is, like, people are um, playing Vegas, you know? 
like uh like like um you know they'll they'll play like a month in vegas and it's like easy on them because it's basically like a nine to five where they just kind of like silk sonic you know you just kind of show sonic. up you do the thing <laughs> lcd and, sound system they, they announced another residency they did one in london they did one in new york last holidays they one in london i think around let's say springtime they're doing another 20 dates around this, this december you know you show up set up you're gonna have to, you know, everything's set. There's no tour van, yada yada yada. Yeah, so like maybe maybe there's something like that. I know like uh, the 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 '90s and 2000s tours are pretty. Like they they make sure like you're comfortable. They give you childcare, like um, whatever like the new kids on the block tour is doing. Like apparently they're doing a lot for, you know, because all those people are like 50 years old, right? <laughs> you know, but you know, like like maybe there's just ways for us to kind of figure out like a better way to tour. Um, you know, and again, like it might be like, I, it'd be cool to have like a Santi gold, like residency in Vegas, you know, or Austin or wherever. Maybe it's like Santi gold, like all like the, 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 the late two thousands bands, you know, Bruh, maybe they'll have like a whole installation in Williamsburg where it's like the arts hipster error. Yo, you like... show up and it's like, there's like sparks <laughs> advertisements, scions on the corner. It's like. This is your life. Yeah, like if, if the if the house of vans is not a condo anymore, um, you know, like that'd be perfect, right? Like, like, like maybe that's like, but I mean, we can, but maybe that's a model. Maybe that's something we can like look into because yeah, like you know, having to force yourself to go out like two hundred days of the year, um, you know, just not sustainable for a lot of people anymore. And you know, like you're not making this choice. It's just like the choice is foisted upon you. Um, so happy for San Diego for speaking up. Um, but you know, I, I hope that there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, I, I love seeing a lot of music, but I understand the toll it takes on their on creators. Um, so yeah, just hopefully there's a happy medium. Yeah, no, same, same here. It's, it's like the idea of where you kind of have to, you know, for everybody, and you always hear about it. It's like the reason why I do X, Y, Z is for the hour on stage, and it, and it kind of sucks where you know, and I get it. You know, the whole goal is the fact of they suffer. You know. We all pile into the van. We're all eating cheap McDonald's. We're all trying to find weird places to shower, you know, because we're young and we're vibrant. And I and I think that, you know, the goal is the fact that if you're able to make it, you're able to kind of move up and kind of become more comfortable. And I think that we've kind of hit this weird thing where, you know, it's like either you're like Harry Styles or you're not. And it's like it, there's got to be a level of where if you're a mid-tier musician and you know your shit, you're able to be able to have a lifestyle that's sustainable. And I think we kind of have to look towards that because, you know, again, you know, I'm somebody where, you know, I'm going to be like I'm, I'm, I'm balling. But it's the idea of I've got some disposable income. I do see my stadium shows here and there, but I do like going to a local venue and supporting those acts. And, and I want to see a, a space of where those acts, too, can go to those venues and make the money and kind of leave there with money in their pocket as opposed to barely, you know, covering the hotel and the gas because they don't want to live like a savage in the street. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think that's what it is where we've kind of put this kind of thing where we kind of put this noble because I remember I was reading this book about uh, the early punk scene it's called get in this van get in the van and it's the idea of where you know no matter what we'll do we'll DIY it hop in the van and, and go out there and, and play these shows and I think that you know in a certain way technology has made it easier to be DIY to kind of distribute yourself to become a quote unquote indie artist but at the same time it's kind of stripped away so much of that revenue where it is not feasible and like I said at the end of the day, I am a music lover. That's why I live for. And I want to see, like, you know, young musicians show up and be able to kind of make money and kind of be able to be dope musicians and create dope art. 
And like I said, you've got somebody again, not to say she's huge, but she's somebody definitely at this level of a career who should be able to kind of go out there, you know, has a fan base, has like some commercials, has worked some, with some really big brands, has an album which, you know, people are saying it's really good. Like everything here is in place for her to have a tour. And if somebody like that is kind of waving a white flag and literally putting an open letter on something like, hey, I'm sharing this to show you that this is a bigger problem than just a Santi Gold tour, we kind of have to pay attention if we actually care about music in general. That's yeah, funny. no, definitely. And it's funny when you talk about like, you know, like the van, the van thing. I mean, gas is five dollars a gallon and vans like do 15 miles a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the math is working against you already. <laughs> so, uh, all right. What other, other interesting news? Cardi B, besides beefing of somebody who shall remain nameless, kind of hopped on Twitter and kind of gave her a shout out like, yo. I lost this Call of Duty bag because of my court cases, basically. Um, the reason why I put it out there is kind of fascinating just because, you know, going back to the idea of revenue streams, the big thing now is branding. I know a couple of years ago, Run the Jewels, they were heavily involved with Call of Duty campaign. You know, the song was in the actual game itself. It was in the commercials. It was in the trailers. And it's kind of fascinating to kind of see this kind of point of where it's like, damn, you know, because of the court cases she has, she can't kind of get, the, you know, the, the, that deal kind of fell through. That said, as somebody who's played Call of Duty, <laughs> as, as somebody who's kind of followed the financials and knows that, you know, the Activision itself is kind of in certain financial trouble, not because of actual finances, but just because it's stock tank because of epic malfeasance on the part of management regarding, oh, no, worker abuse, sexual assault. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was a very interesting story to kind of sit show there where it's like, hey, you know, this is what kind of the, where they do the line. That said, I do find it fascinating on top of that, where you're in this weird space of where you've got a Snoop, you've got a fucking Kendrick, you've got these acts that are bigger than life, like superstars on their own and how there's still this kind of push and pull where. What Cardi did, B did, fighting in the middle of a club with, with a bottle of witches, I think it was, not that big of a deal. That's par, of course, for hip-hop. But it's also fascinating to kind of see these brands do with these hip-hop artists to try to figure out, you know, what's the reputational risk they want to take here and there. Yeah, I, I, I read this article, and I was just kind of like, I don't know. I was just like, I, number one, like, you, like you, you're getting Cardi B. You kind of understand what you're getting into, right? Like, and, and like a lot of times, unfortunately, like some people are just like, they don't know. And like the, the people <laughs> who make these decisions <laughs> are like, oh, we a female, a rapper who speaks to our audience. And they're just like, Cardi B. And like, like get the lawyers, get the sign the papers. And like nobody like, you know, and not saying you have to do due diligence, but just like, it's like decisions are kind of made like that. But it's also too, like you're, you're getting Cardi B. Like you're getting somebody who, you know, doesn't have a history of like violence or anything. But, you know, like, like she's from the Bronx or, you know, like she's, <laughs> so I, I feel like you want the, the, the street edge without the street edge. Right. Yeah. Like you want the best of both worlds and, you know, you can't, you can't have that with a lot of those rap. Like you, like you just can't, you know, like, like, like there's, there's a few, yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's not possible. Um, you know, you have to embrace it. Right, like you just have to like live with it. You know, obviously, there's you know if, if Cardi B was like doing like R. Kelly shit, that's different. 
But like, <laughs> you know, like it seems like Cardi's remorseful. She's kind of like, this is a life lesson. I like, you know, dropped the bag. But um, I, I just feel like, you know, like this, if you want to play in the, the hip hop game, this is just kind of like what you have to deal with as a brand. And, you know, like, I feel like the more you are, like accept the flaws of these rappers, the more authentic you will be towards the audience. Um, and I just want to also say, like, the new Pusha T, the latest Pusha T Arby's compilation um, or a song dropped, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this week or last week. And, but it's just a, a complete 180. It's like it's Pusha T, who everybody knows just does cocaine raps, right? And it's like a diss track against McDonald's. And like I, I don't know, like like it felt like very authentic, even though it's kind of corny. Like it still feels authentic because it's like it's it's not like Pusha T, like you know, having to you know I, I guess like censor himself. It's like you get a Pusha T track. It's just yeah. about Arby's roast beef. Roast beef. <laughs> yes, you know, and I feel like that's kind of the thing where you know, um, like like fans want authenticity, and if you're kind of like you know hee hawing around like you know like a court case or whatever from a rapper, um, you know that's you're just not going to make any waves in, in that 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 in the hip hop industry, hip hop industry, hip hop circles anyway, basically. Yeah. No, agreed. And, and like I said, it's just kind of fascinating to kind of see how the brand's kind of balance it out because obviously you've got somebody where, you know, Pusha T has had some lines where definitely <laughs> would not play in middle mainstream America by any stretch of the imagination. And so has Cardi B. You know, to a certain extent, we remember the controversy around WAP. But at the end of the day, I just kind of found it fascinating. Just kind of, you know, it's just interesting to see how these brands are kind of negotiating because they realize that hip hop is popular culture, but how they kind of renegotiate that. And like I said, for the most part, not to say that, you know, molly whopping people in the bar is anything good, you know what I'm saying? For the most part, but ideally, like you said, she's remorseful, you know, there's, there's much worse things. And, I said that, and like I said, it's, I, it's, I just kind of thought that was a fascinating kind of thing to look at. Um, I guess I'll start this one, and I think we all know uh, a couple days ago, terrible news. Julio died, 59, which is relatively young. Um, yeah, it sucks. Uh, I kind of fear just in general, we've kind of hit this era of where it's just kind of been a whole conga line of black death, young and old, and it's kind of adds to it. You know, this is off like PNB Rock from a couple of weeks ago, who apparently they finally found the killers. The killers themselves, it's like the shooter apparently was 17 years old. The getaway driver was the father. You know what I'm saying? It's just kind of this, you know, as we kind of riffed before, it's kind of this kind of line of cycle. Like in, in this case, you know, we don't know how he died, but I, I think no matter how he died, be it something natural or unnatural causes, 59 is still way too young, particularly somebody who's made such a huge impact in the culture. So, you know, I just wanted to shout out him and his family, long story short. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and it seems like, you know, it was kind of like a heart attack or something of a medical situation, um, which also takes black men, um, especially a lot of black men of that, like, like kind of like age range are kind of dying because of like, you know, health issues. Um, so that's also an issue. And, you know, you have to you have to watch your back on the health issues as a, you know, in addition to the ops, basically, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think, I think, like, the most interesting thing, and this is, this always happens after somebody dies, which really sucks, is that everybody kind of, like, you know, kind of, like, goes back and talks about, like, the contribution to the, the culture, right? Um, and, you know, Coolio, Coolio wasn't, like, a one-hit wonder. 
like you know everybody knows like gangster paradise but he had like fantastic voyage yeah a few other hits um and he was able to kind of bridge you know like kind of that gangster rap la sound with pop and kind of do it in a way that you know still felt authentic in a lot of ways um and still kind of like he made like a lot of great party anthems those party party music um and you know gangsta's paradise like i just remember that song being everywhere i remember that song just being like you know kind of like like a quintessential song and they it's i don't know it's like, like you'll get that that kind of that kind of moment um, and he was still out here. He was still touring. Um, you know, like, the 90s are back, so he's doing a lot of, like, revival tours, things like that. Um, he was scheduled to actually perform, I think, like, this week or next week. Um, so he was still kind of out here. Um, obviously, you know, like, like you know, as entertainment does, he's had his ups and downs, but it, it seems like he's, he's he's still out here, you know, so... Uh, or he was out here, you know, um, before his death, but... Um, but yeah, no, it's just like, it, it's, it's, it's somebody I definitely want people to kind of think about the legacy of, because I, I do think after his time in, in, you know, like in his fame, he kind of was brushed off as kind of like, you know, kind of a corny rapper. But I actually think that like he did a lot for hip hop. Um, and you know, the sound that he kind of brought, I thought was pretty, really, really unique. Um, and yeah, you know, like, like, you know, like, like. Have, you know, we should all revisit his uh, his uh, discography for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, all right, uh, this last one basically. Um, I'm seeing this article early this year. Basically, the Anti Defamation League kind of went through Spotify's list, and basically, long story short, within Nazi ideology, there's always been like a musical element. There's always been like an onboarding element. Whereas, like, how do you kind of get you know your future Nazis, your future clan members? Obviously, art it's always been a way for them to do that. Um, there's been an issue for a long time for certain subgenres, uh, metal, punk, of where there's been a lot of Nazi kind of things happening there. Where you know they kind of have you know they they kind of slide under the idea that they're just quote unquote edge lording. Where realistically, it's a kind of an onboarding method to kind of get new people into the ideology. So the Anti-Defamation League kind of came down as a hammer because obviously you've kind of had, you know, it's been a long history of this, you know. And long story short, it kind of rightfully called that like, hey, you know, Spotify, the way the methods work as far as anybody can kind of upload, you know, a podcast, you know, anybody with means can kind of get an album on there has kind of been sponsoring a lot of this hateful content. Um, you have users there who make their own playlists to have Nazi symbols. They have links to Nazi shit offsite. It's kind of all fucked up. So um, even though that that report came out earlier this year, I guess finally somehow it came on the Spotify. It's kind of like fucking radar. And, you know, they kind of gave the stock corporate shit where, you know, we, were, we removed all the podcasts and, you know, we removed 20 albums and yada, yada, yada. And basically, you know, they, they, they ran the algorithm through it. And the reason why I wanted to kind of put this into the fucking discussion is the fact of where I think in this case and in wider cases in general, the algorithm does not work. I mean, ideally, at the end of the day, a lot of these bands are not like, you know, Hell Hitler Records. <laughs> yeah. Nazi salute number five. It's all very, you know, and not heavily coded, but coded enough. You know, you know, blood of our ancestors, you know, Nordic runes, you know, you know, the thing about and as we've seen, sadly enough, politically, it's very easy to fool humans into thinking people aren't Nazis. It's not really that hard to kind of fool a robot. And the reason why I kind of wanted to bring it up was the fact of where 
in uh, Spotify's kind of counter argument, in addition to the podcast, they said they removed 20 albums. And I'm like, 20 albums? I'm like, there's hundreds of these bands worldwide up in yeah. this shit. 20 albums is fucking nothing. You know, it's probably, again, the, the bands that were sloppy enough to like upload something of a swastika. And I think just in general, I just want to kind of, you know, and I, I feel like every month or two there's something else that pops up about Spotify. We have to have this discussion. But I do think that it's really very incumbent on the gatekeepers, the people who kind of host this content, to kind of keep their eyes out. And I, and I will say that when I kind of saw that response, I was like, that that just doesn't fucking work. At the end of the day, you've got, you know, Nazi bands fucking not just doing like even punk and metal. You've got, you know, Nazi imagery. There was a big fucking DJ called Vatican Shadow who basically, you know, there was a whole bunch of pitchfork, pitchfork fucking writers who had to kind of apologize because in his projects in the early, you know, in the aughts, basically he was, you know, they, they would go record shopping and he'd be like, yeah, this is my friend Bob. And Bob, lo and behold, was an outright, you know, proud Nazi. And it's basically how even Pitchfork, people who know about fucking music writing, let their guards down and were basically kind of helping this guy onboard a lot of his fucking ideology. I, I mean... You know, saying uh, a lot of his yeah. views yeah. without actually fucking, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm, this this guy's in a really good band called, I don't know, Stormtrooper. And then you fucking go to Stormtrooper.com and it's a whole bunch of Nazi shit, which is fine for like somebody like me and you and people listening because we kind of know what's up. But if you're a fucking 14 year old, it kind of goes to the whole edgelord shit where it's like, oh, they really can't be serious. You know, spoiler alert, they really are fucking serious. So I just kind of want to kind of shout that out because, you know, I, as usual, I have a, a low tolerance for corporate bullshit ease. And when I saw that their response was like, oh, we removed 20 albums, I'm like, oh, that's just not enough. And I think at a certain point, we have to hold them responsible because, you know, they're going to kind of hide their hands and say that all they had to do. But I'm like, no. At the end of the day, they got to hire real people to kind of go through and just make sure that they aren't being bad actors in the space. That's yeah. I mean, the, the sad thing is they, they probably did ran a cost benefit analysis of what it will take to, to kind of fix this and hire humans and really put the effort into to restricting the content. And they're probably like, well, that's probably too expensive, you know, you know, compared against like, you know, I would say like the amount of, <laughs> of outrage, which it feels very small, um, you know, so um, unfortunately it's going to take some type of crazy major event for, for this to kind of, um, like you know, like they like they will they'll give like twenty million dollars to a to a podcaster, and that podcaster becomes a Nazi or you know like like something crazy like yeah. that before they they actually fix it. But it seems like there's just not enough buzz around it for Spotify to really care. Um, so I'm not surprised whether they're like, oh, the algorithm's going to handle it. But um, but no, they they definitely need to take pro take proactive action and. I, I, you know, it's unfortunately it's going to have to take something big for them to, to really kind of do that. So, but yeah, yeah. And, and it sucks. But you know what doesn't suck? New music. New music. Uh, I guess I will start this off. Um, Shy Girl. Shy Girl is a UK artist who I've been kind of keeping an eye on. Um, what got me was her earlier singles in her EP. It, it reminded me. Again, I hate comparing and contrasting people, um, but I will say that she definitely shares some producers in common with, let's say, FKA Twigs, with Bjork, a lot of uh, PC music, a lot of hyper-experimental UK dance club music. I'm pretty sure she's got some songs with Sophie out there. Um, she finally dropped the EP, which is good, and I say that. The reason why I bring it up is the fact of, and I think it's kind of, this reminds me a lot of the Fivio Foreign 
the Fifle Foreign. <laughs> as my sister jokes. But uh, shouts to people who know old school cartoons. But uh, Fivio Foreign record from earlier in the earlier in the year, where I think that a lot of times when people kind of have a debut album, they kind of talk themselves into thinking that this is what a hit is, and I think it's to their detriment. Um, while this album is good, I think that her earlier like. EPs and more expensive experimental records are kind of what made her interesting. This one is kind of, even though it does some interesting sonically, it's very much down the line straight. Mm. And uh, like perfect example would be the last song on it sounds like a Pink Panther song, which again, me and Stone know Pink Panther is the future. But at the <laughs> same time, if what makes you unique is doing interesting things over these word like soundscapes, it's kind of a step back. So it's kind of fascinating where, like, you know, not to say I was a huge Fivio Foreign fan, but that was supposed to be a big moment of like BK Drill going mainstream. Some of the Shy Girl, see somebody which like I've killed some of her records in my Spotify list to a shameful amount, where I also was kind of hyped up for this debut. And it's kind of interesting to kind of see like a good. But definitely, like, we want to get some radio spins kind of focused record. And I kind of get it at the end of the day. You know, you're an artist. You want to kind of get your your voices heard. But at the same time, I think you have to temper that with what makes you great. And I think sometimes you have to kind of keep it weird. And that's all. Yeah, definitely. And, 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 and you know, the, is it Fibio? It's Fibio? Well, she calls him Fifle. My shout to DJ Tara, who calls him Fifle from, was it, what was that cartoon? Fifle? Like Fievel <laughs> from the, the American Tale. Like, American Tale <laughs> shouts. Oh man, yeah that that that, that actually that album was just like, I, it's kind of crazy when I saw that vision, and like he wants to make a you know um, like what's the song of Alicia Keys in, in uh, Jay Z like uh, oh, Empire State of Mind. Minds. Yeah. Like, and it's like basically let's get Alicia Keys. Let's do Empire State of Mind part 2. <laughs> you know. Um it was very I, I it's it's just funny like you see the vision and the vision is like I want to make a buy the numbers pop album cuz I this is like, you know, what inspired me and like you kind of see that vision executed and it's just like you miss it authenticity. Um so it's kind of sad to hit see here. Um definitely need to to check out the the Shy Girl album. Um and but I, I think I I will uh, now you've kind of set my expectations, um, so I think I'll check out some of her earlier work too, um, and kind of bump that. But you know it kind of goes back to the thing. It's like like you want to game the system, you want to get more streams, like you want to try like like figure out like what's going to be like what's going to get you a hired bag. And sometimes you like the they people artists feel that that formula is to to replicate like the pop formula formula that everybody else has done. Um, and this is not like a streaming thing. It's just been like a music thing. So, um, you know, I, you know, wish her, wish her well. I'll definitely check out the album and, uh, you know, hopefully, um, she has the space to be, you know, more authentic and kind of do things that, you know, she wants to do for herself and her art and her creativity as opposed to like for, for the label. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Um, uh, and then I have a album, uh, that I'll lift up called uh louis from kenny beats so kenny beats is a producer um kind of came out of nowhere i feel um but he's worked with a lot of different artists like vince staples denzel curry rico nasty um he has a really popular like youtube show where he invites artists to kind of come in and, and like he'll make beats for them on the fly um you know he's kind of become like a really a prolific like kind of beat maker producer 
um, figure within hip hop. Um, so, you know, like he's kind of like out, out in these streets and essentially this is kind of his quote unquote debut album. Um, he's done some compilations before he's done some mixtapes before, but I guess like they're, they're calling this like an album and it's called Louie. Um, and essentially it's definitely not the Kenny Beats that you would, you would think of. And also too, it's not what you, you know, like a lot of producer albums are just like the producer's beats with a bunch of rappers that, you know, kind of phone in on the MP3. <laughs> and it's supposed to be like a be a beat showcase. Whereas this the album... Leftover scraps lying yeah. around the hard drive. It's like, let me grab this Todd Creator riff and then put it over this 19... This beat from, you know, that one drunk night in fucking October 19th and put them, smash them up together and now I have my album. Um, this album is definitely different, yeah. Um, it's like folksy. I, I, I think I could say that. Um, it's it's very kind of atmospheric. Um, it's like autumn wave bounces, basically. Um, you know, it, it's... Autumn wave bounces, <laughs> but, but better than the bounces we actually got. <laughs> you know, um, like, uh, I, I, like the production style is like really different. Almost kind of reminds me of like a Mac DeMarco type of feel. Um and like the first half of the album is very atmospheric. The second half of the album is a little bit more like I, I think it was kind of like two concepts in one. But that one's like uh, they had this, like a radio kind of DJ, um, kind of air splice in some of the cuts, like the uh, skits and things like that. Um, and you know, reading the Pitchfork article, like that's his his father, um, not not the DJ, but his father, uh, who was a radio DJ, got diagnosed with cancer last year. Um, so this is kind of a tribute to his father. Um, and I think with that information, I kind of understand why it's like a little bit more, like a little bit different, you know, than, than what you expect, because it's not really, it's almost like he made, he made an album that his dad would listen to, <laughs> yes. you know, um, and I'm not mad at it at all. Um, you know, he hasn't really, you know. I'm sure this is like a passion project. Like he doesn't really need to go out in these streets and try to like, you know, make a number one album. He doesn't need to be DJ Khaled, you know. I and um, I'm kind of I'm kind of glad this album exists because it's, it's really dope. Um, and I've been listening to it a lot. Um, it's a great album to work to, um, but it's just like it sets a vibe and a tone that I thought was really cool. So, you know, it's it's what I like about it is that uh, I'm gonna say this is gonna sound like a diss, but it's not. You know, what's kind of fascinating about Kenny Beats is he's a jack of all trades, master of none, meaning that he's somebody where if you want a dope beat in whatever hip hop subgenre that he's got, he, he could make it for you on the fly. It may not be necessarily something where it's just like, you know, on some DJ premiere, mind blowing. How did you put these new production techniques together? But he's somebody who definitely masters, knows his hip hop shit. Um, if I remember correctly, his history is basically somebody who was a hip hop producer. Then there was a whole EDM wave, and like everybody else, he's like, let me get paid, and kind of turned back to hip hop more as a passion project, and kind of, you know, he's basically a student of the game. And so, what I kind of find fascinating about this project is just like you, I thought it was gonna be like, all right, cool, he's somebody where, you know, if like he's got somebody like fucking Cardi B show up, he might do something that's a little hard and trappy. I know he produced some stuff with like a idol so it's probably a little more industrially a little more hard rocky i know when it came into the behind the basement you know if a staple comes shows up for an episode he might do something a little more cali chill back but a little sinister you know 
So what's kind of fascinating is somebody where and it's and it's I it's it's cool to kind of hit an era of like producerdom where and you know not to say that traditional hip hop producers don't tailor their music but generally the big thing is the fact of where hey if you're a Mike Will made it you generally kind of at least start out doing music that you know really well and a genre you know really well specifically micro genre. What's kind of fascinating is you kind of hit this level. Of, I don't know if it's because of people kind of getting music is a little flatter, the software changing, where you've got producers trying to do different things and kind of trying to broaden their horizon and kind of just like, like, I am not just a dude who does trap. I am not the dude who just does fucking, you know, BK drill. I, I am I am multitudes also in production, kind of the same way you kind of see it in rapping. Um, with this, what I thought was fascinating is like, like you were saying is the idea of where not no real diss to Calvin Harris per se, but is the idea of where, Hey, if Kenny beats wants to do like these low, you know, these slower, more melodic, less hard hitting beats and kind of fit these rappers to show up there and do it. He can do it. Going back to the idea of the Vince Staples song on the record, I was kind of remarking where these last couple of fucking albums, Vince has been very much, you know, somber, relatively serious, not necessarily to say sad records, but definitely records are a little hyper-focused on the trauma of his life. And it's kind of cool to see Vince Staples kind of show up here and just rap over, I want to say say a summer song, but it's definitely something more upbeat. And I think what's good about this record is a testimony to Kenny Beats' talent where he's somebody where if he's got a sound or an idea, he could kind of do it. And I think it's kind of cool to see him flex because the easiest thing would have been if you look at his YouTube channel, he's got a lot of hot rappers there. He could have taken his best 15 beats, put it on together, and that's about it. But no, he kind of stepped out of that, made a made a record his way, and had these rappers kind of go into his world. Going back to the DJ Khaled kind of comments, you have DJ Khaled where, you know, cynically he kind of copies and pastes this type of sound, this type of rapper to make this kind of hit. And it's kind of cool that even though this record probably isn't as on paper as experimental as some of his other production, like I, like I really loved his Rico, Rico Nasty on because it was like 20 minutes of this hard-hitting crazy shit. In his own way, it is also very experimental because it's like, you know, for a guy who's known for having these rappers show up and making beats for them, it's almost the opposite happened here, where these rappers are showing up and trying to rap in his world. And I thought that was kind of fascinating. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And and again, you know, it, it's it's really interesting because, um, yeah, like Kenny Beats, like, does, like, he has no real style. So I guess it shouldn't be that surprising that he, he would just go, go left field. Um. But you know, I I I think it is kind of refreshing to be like you know he's kind of experimenting with this like new sound that I thought was like really cool. Um, you know, do I want a part two like a funk ways bounces too? I you know I don't know, but like I I just like I really appreciate like the sonic like delivery of this album. Um, so you know I'm I'm, I'm I will definitely be bumping this a few more times this week. So yep, absolutely. And uh, there's a lot of records this week, but I think on my end, I'm going to end it kind of simply just to kind of, because we could be here for a minute, but uh, I'm going to shout out the Yeah Yeahs on my end only because, uh, so Yeah Yeahs, if you don't know, very seminal group, very important group in the New York City rock scene, which by extension was important for rock in general in the arts. That's no real flex. That just kind of happens for that little, little decade period of time. That's where it kind of looked like all the energy was coming from. 
So you had Yeah Yeahs, which was an anomaly at the time because it was female fronted, very art rock based, very popular. Um, they kind of faded into the shadows. They dropped their last record was a little bit, uh, let's just say half half energy. Um, but as a result, the band members got older. One became a full time photographer. One became a mother. And so this is their quote-unquote comeback record. And uh, I think the anticipation here was relatively low. Note this towards them, but just because, you know, at, at this stage of the career, they kind of made their impact. They've done what they had to do. They dropped the, you know, as usual, the one mid-tier late career album, and you expect them to kind of ride off into the sun. What's kind of cool about this one, though, is it's very much a return to form. The irony of it is that right before that last mid-album, they had an EP called It's Blitz, and they probably had their uh, biggest like like record there. They had a new guitarist. They had a lot of basically it was a record of big synth sounds. For that last record, they kind of stepped away from that. This one, they kind of re-embrace it. They've got newer acts like Perfume Perfume Genius playing on it. This is kind of a really good rock record at a time when it's really hard to find really good rock records. So I kind of wanted to shout that out because I kind of approach it like with trepidation. Afraid it's going to be kind of mid like the last record, but no, it's actually a pretty good rocking record. And I'm hoping going back to our previous comments, <laughs> they have a chance to tour it because I think it's it's a it's a well worth return to form. And they kind of show that they still they still they're still making good hits out there, and I I think they deserve to be kind of heard and kind of have an impact on the scene. That's all. That's cool. I will definitely check that out. Yeah, I I, yeah. I know like rock has been really weird for me, and then also too like you know a lot of bands. It's just really tough to like, you know, because you're trying to recreate like your your like your first or second album, and that's lightning in the bottle. So a lot of the band's like later efforts tend to fall short. Um, but I'm glad to see this kind of return to form. Um, and yeah, 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 I'll take it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool, cool. <laughs> that was a dad but, joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that's it as we step out, you know what I'm saying? Take a chill pill. We just want to kind of reiterate our kind of like, you know, we usually start off a little jokey, but this time we kind of want to shit out, you know, our love to everybody out there. You know, climate change is real, as you can kind of see, you know, take care of each other, you know, and, and I think just in general, you know, we have in our hearts the best wishes for everybody out there suffering through these storms and we'll get through it how? Only together. For sure. Peace. Peace. Peace.